Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on Animal Welfare Certified Bone-In Beef Short Ribs, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie and Ground Lamb. Grab an Olive Boule Bread from the Bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Warning, this podcast contains theories and reactions to the new DC Slate plus a grab bag of spoilers for various Marvel comics, Star Wars stuff, including Andor and more in our mailbag. So be warned. Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep, 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 deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, we are diving deep, 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 deep in the previously on. It's that James Gunn new DCU oh, slate. It is wild. GBG. It is weird. And we are here to tell you all about it because it is there is some deep cut stuff there. And you know we love that. In the airlock. You Colonel Sanders, it, beautiful bastard, you. <laughs> Creature commandos. What is wrong with you? This is incredible. In the airlock. It's the mailbag. We got questions about Marvel Comics, what we're looking forward to in 2023 and more. Important thing to note here. We recorded this before the DC Slate announcement, which is why some of the later answers about DC films don't mention the new projects, but we will be answering those questions in a future episode. And in Nerd Out, we have a really awesome segment from Sarah talking about Dungeons and Dragons, which is very relevant if you've been keeping up with the tabletop gaming news. And as always, if you want to jump around, check the show notes for timestamps. Folks, let's get into it with the huge announcement Bum, bum, from bum. James Gunn, co-CEO of DC Studios, with the announcement of the DC Slate. James Gunn, the recently appointed co-CEO of DC Studios, revealed the upcoming slate of DC Comics movies and shows and also did a bunch of interviews for the big industry publications. And let's get into it. First of all, the overall strategy is the thing that I think DC fans, comic fans have mm-hmm. been wanting for a while, which is unify all of these kind of like disparate story spaces and make one coherent, cohesive story in which all the characters are the same characters played by the same actors. And that includes, uh, interestingly, uh, characters who are going to voice uh, characters on the animation side mm-hmm. are also going to be the same actors who play them in live action. And in cases where things are happening outside of that continuity, like uh, the sequel to Matt Reeves' Batman and the and Matt Reeves' Batman itself, like the uh, the Joker movie. I also by... want to mention Teen Titans Go. I was so happy that the they, were like, they were like, like, Teen Titans Go is an Elseworlds project, guys. It's not going anywhere. And I was like, <laughs> well, thank was... God. <laughs> Well, it was funny to be like, like it was, you know, it it kind of made me chuckle a little bit because it was like, and and then things like, you know, Matt Reeves' Batman, the Joker, fully and the sequel adieu. to the Joker, and Teen Titans Go. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, at least they know it's valuable. And also, yeah, yeah. I'm happy because I feel like everyone for a lot, we've all been asking for an Elseworlds slate, and I actually think it's they need really it. clever to use it for it's stuff smart. that already exists rather than yeah. what we've all kind of assumed, which is you would create your Elseworlds outside of an already existing DC universe. I thought that was really smart. Also, I just want to say, I really like this choice 
to bring people over from animation into live action. And also, as Gunn said, he's hoping that that can cross over to gaming because I think it shows something about Gunn that I think hints at a really massive promise of success. He already knows what DC does well. Matt Ryan, yes, that's right. who he I... understands that, that this is part of the lineage yeah. of DC is animation to live Exactly, because Matt Ryan, who is such a brilliant Constantine, who I still believe should get his chance to do his serious R-rated Constantine from the CW shows, he voiced Constantine in the later animated series, and it was such a good continuity, and it made people so excited to think it was the same character. And that was just a small kind of niche TV audience. So it's going to be really exciting to see them continue that on. And even in those CW shows, they tested this idea of introducing a character in animation like Vixen and then bringing them over. So I'm really excited to see that done in a much more expansive way that's not just little YouTube shorts to TV. Uh, I totally feel the same way. Let's get into the slate itself. Wild. Um, starting with the existing project. So Gunn was... Uh, was uh, it, very praiseful of the slate that is kind mm-hmm. of like that they that they inherited essentially saying you know Peter and and I got really lucky with these yeah. movies so we start with Shazam Fury of the Gods so uh, obviously bedtime it was Zachary Levi's uh, recent tweets which he addressed but uh, this kind of puts to rest any idea that uh, that Shazam is outside of mm-hmm. the DCEU and he kind of said you know Shazam is always kind of been doing his own thing. Like even in the comics, yeah. Shazam's kind of like separated from a normal continuity, but will be part of the DCU. Yeah. So that puts the rest in I, any controversy. I find this very interesting though, because like, so they said this will like lead directly into the Flash, which will then yep. reset the DC universe. So I do think that's a bit of an out for them to get rid of anything they don't want. Everyone knows I'm a big Shazam movie fan. I'm not a big fan of what Zachary Levy was saying online. But <laughs> I do think like the Shazamily, Mary Marvel, all those other kids, I would love to see them continue in the DC universe, even if that's not necessarily something that we see for the main Billy Batson Shazam character. I mean, who doesn't want Megan Good in the yeah. in the DCU? I do. So yeah, that's gonna go directly into the Flash, which again, me and Jason have been saying for a long time. Is it gonna come out? I still don't believe it. <laughs> but it really feels like it's gonna. It's gonna well, come out. Okay. Now. So important uh, connective tissue here is uh, you know Zachary Levi of course came out as strongly anti-vax, and people were sharing his uh, his Rogan clip in which he is like Jordan Peterson, man, that guy gets it, and he doesn't and, correct Rogan <laughs> when Rogan dead names and misgenders Elliot Page. So there's a lot of and, negative and stuff so. There. A lot of negative stuff, and and this was getting reshared, and people were like, oh, my God, Zachary Levi, uh, not good. Now, uh, James Gunn did address this, essentially saying, well, I'll quote him here. Uh, Actors, filmmakers that I work with are going to say things that I agree with and things that I don't agree with. I can't be changing my plans all the time because the actor says something that I don't agree with. Then uh, uh, saying something that is clearly meant to address Mm -hmm. any... Flash issues and Ezra Miller issues. He continued at the same token if someone is doing something that is morally reprehensible. That's a different story and we have to take that into account. So I think a very measured statement. We can disagree. I think, listen, I strongly disagree with everything Zachary Levi said. At the same time, I'm not married to a movie franchise uh, with millions of dollars of outstanding uh, billings left there and all the kind of legal uh, contractual bindings that occur. So... 
as the head of the studio, I get it. It's a that James Gunn has statement. To, he has to. He has to be like, listen, I can't police every comment I, that everybody makes. I personally, uh, I personally believe it's very interesting to say like, if something's morally reprehensible, and then lead into the Flash and be like, it's the greatest movie ever. Because I feel like I we clearly, know that those things clearly a comment that on Ezra that, yeah. has done. So the Flash movie, which is going to become directly after Shazam, and they say Shazam is going to connect to. That's going to reset the entire DC universe. I think, as we know, that means that gives them a choice to get rid of Ezra, to introduce a Wally West Flash, to get rid of the parts of the old DCEU that they don't want and start off with a, a crisis or a flashpoint that will lay the groundwork for where the new DCU starts. That's right. And so uh, the Flash, June sixteenth, which Gunn uh, referred to in a in a in a comment, I think to Variety during the Scrum, probably one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. So, listen, uh, there's a there's an element of he has to say that, mm-hmm. but he did say he did it. say it. And also, I feel like my gut says I think at one point the director of the Flash, Andy Machay, who's been working on this movie for years, I think he was probably promised the keys to the DC kingdom with this movie. This was meant to be the big, cohesive restart movie. And I think that people are feeling very generous to him for the work that he has done and the time that he's put into this movie. And I hope it really is that great. And I personally, like, I I hope that Ezra's just gone at the beginning and then they're like, hey, it's Wally West. You love him. He's great. Um, But yeah, I find that to be a very interesting comment. I'm hearing apparently it did test very well. So that will be interesting. And one of the things I found very interesting is they then said, well, next movie is Blue Beetle and that will not be connected to The Flash or any previous DCU. That is, Blue Beetle is where you begin with this new DCU. And he even said that the the character Blue Beetle, who I love, and I'm really excited to see, you know, the kid from Cobra Kai, who's so brilliant, the kid who plays Miguel, um, take on that role. And James said that character Blue Beetle is going to be a big part of the DCU going forward, which makes a lot of sense when we get to one of our new announcements, which is a character who's very heavily connected to Blue Beetle. And then Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, December 25th. Uh, uh, Safran said in uh, interviews after the announcement, um, Jason always saw Aquaman as a trilogy, and to which Gunn added, I will say we don't have an actor playing two different roles. This is a, this is in uh, it, it, as an answer to the rumor that uh, Momoa could play Lobo when he's done playing Aquaman. I'm sure that will probably uh, happen. That makes a lot of sense, but it will be when he's done. And something that I was very excited about as number one Aquaman and James Wan and Jason Momoa fan They said something here that I found very interesting. At one point, it seemed like Aquaman was going to be like the stepchild of this this four and this was going to be the outside. But James specifically said that Aquaman will lead directly into their first proper DCU movie, which is Superman Legacy. So that is incredibly exciting to me that they see Aquaman as a direct line into that DCU. I guess, the, I guess the question then is, you know, with uh, they've cut the cord on all of the kind of legacy projects except for Aquaman, which is going to be the string that kind of leads into this, they're saying. But when the Flash, and we're assuming here that the Flash basically flashpoints yeah. and kills everything, it resets the entire universe. Does that mean that 
Moa Moa as Aquaman is reset as well, and then he can yeah. then do Loba because it seems pretty. Or is it going to be something? That, it seems pretty definitive that Gunn is saying like, if you played Aquaman, you cannot then go and play another mm-hmm. character. But if that character and and continuity is gone, wiped away, can it then happen? Yeah, Unclear. very interesting, especially as Aquaman comes out at December twenty fifth, so after Flashpoint. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I feel like. One of the threads between Aquaman and The Flash had been this Michael Keaton appearance that had been like very heavily rumored. That apparently got taken away. Then they brought in Ben Affleck. Now Ben Affleck's not in it. I feel like a Michael Keaton uh, Batman 89 thread between those movies feels very James Gunn-ish. And like you could still have that kind of time traveling future past Bruce Wayne to kind of tie these things together. But I'll be very interested to see how this happens. I'm just really glad that James sees Aquaman as a as a direct kind of lineage to, to the Superman movie, which gets us to these kind of what they're calling chapter one gods and monsters. And and right. So this is their yeah. their phase one in which they introduce our heroes and our villains. Yeah. And James said this is just some, but not all. Of the project. Right. So this Importantly, is the first this is the first wave that they got okay to announce, basically. So uh we start with Creature Commandos, which is a James Gunn written animated series, seven episode animated series that will feature uh the same characters who are playing the, the characters featured in this in live action, voicing the characters in yeah, this, and uh, such as Amanda Waller. This is like uh, played by Viola Davis. This is such I will say I don't think that's the case. I think you that don't might think so. be. I I think my understanding is it's going to be the they had a great still from the video um, of the creature commandos, and it's basically in the comics. It's like from Weird War, and it's a World War Two team, and it's basically all the Universal monsters scratch out Universal. So you have a Frankenstein, a Dracula. Uh, they look like in in the new team. They also have like a Bride of Frankenstein and a. A kind of creature from the back lagoon inspired by Abe Sapien. So I think this is going to be that monsters fighting Nazis really taken directly from the J.M. DeMatteis and Pat Broderick stuff that is just one of those weird deep cut DC things. Interestingly, this is already in production. So I assume that this is a passion project of guns that was probably already in play before this ever came into also animated you just do the voices and then exactly. it takes four years to do to the, do the to beautiful do the, animation to the cartoons yeah um then we go to waller uh this will star viola davis this is a tv series that spins off from uh peacemaker written by crystal henry uh who was uh part of the uh, writing team behind watchmen on hbo max uh, and jeremy carver from supernatural and this is essentially going to be Peacemaker season two. Yeah, it, so I think originally it had come out saying this is going to kind of be Peacemaker season two, but I think what James is saying now is this is going to be the holding pattern between Peacemaker two because everybody's Got really it. busy. But I think that we can say it's it's spiritually Peacemaker season two because it's going to have Team Peacemaker in it. It's going to be Viola playing Waller, which is really exciting, and we're going to see those Peacemaker characters come back the centering of the story is just going to focus onto Amanda Waller, who I think is one of the most interesting DC characters. And I think they're very smart to kind of focus heavily on her and her legacy as the leader of the Suicide Squad, as the kind of person behind Peacemaker. 
So I think that'll be really interesting and I'm sure it'll be a huge smash hit just like Peacemaker was. Next up, and this is, uh, I would I would put this under the category of We Were Right. Yes. Now, uh, <laughs> uh, we've been calling for an all-star Superman take on Superman to kind of reset all the gritty, like, jaw-clenching, uh, mass destruction uh, depiction of Superman in Man of Steel uh, and the Snyderverse. And I think this description of Superman legacy written by James Gunn is the thing that will do that. Safran says, it's not an origin story. It focuses on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. He is the embodiment of truth, justice, and the American way. He is kindness in a world that thinks kindness as old-fashioned. This sounds a lot like All-Star Superman. Yeah, and if you go to this video, which is funny because I read all of this news yeah. in the trade because obviously the trades are great. Yeah. And that, that was where they had the big news and DC.com had some great news. But I will say that if you look at the video, you get a little bit of extra information. And you talked about All-Star Superman. The image we get when they show this and when James is talking about this is Frank quietly. And it's Superman sitting up above, looking over Metropolis, you know. And I saw another really great quote from Gunn that made me really feel like he understands what you need in a Superman story, where he said, he's just like a big old-fashioned galoot. And his, like, his... I, I love this idea that that James said, which was his greatest weakness is he will never kill somebody. And I just think that is like the best thing. You have the most powerful godlike person on earth, but their ultimate weakness is they can't do the thing that every villain will do. That to me Not is to just... Mention, there's also the, the symbolism of this announcement coming out on Grant Morrison's birthday Absolutely. feels Absolutely. Thank feels you for pointing huge. out. Not just that, yeah. because this is not the only... This is the this is like the fans saying, oh, it's probably inspired by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's All-Star Superman. But later on, we get an announcement where they say this is directly based on Grant Morrison's spoiler alert, which we'll talk in, <laughs> in a minute. But yeah, I think this is really exciting. I... I know it's going to be young Superman, but I really still, one of my greatest wishes is that in the Elseworlds, like Matt Reeves world, I think you could have such a good Channing Tatum Superman, who is the Superman to Robert Pattinson's Batman, and you make that movie and it is as bright and cheery and funny as that Batman movie is dark. Like, I feel like Channing Tatum is, he's coming up more and more in my superhero casting because I just think he's <laughs> such a great comedic actor and obviously i love magic mike but like yeah I, the mike verse the mike verse i can't wait for magic mike's last dance magic mike xxl one of my all-time favorite movies if you haven't seen it go watch it it's like an unbelievable treatise on male friendship just absolutely wonderful but yeah superman legacy it's going to be a young superman and this begins what james says like so waller and creature commandos i think those were in production before and james says they're kind of the soft launch but superman legacy is boom you're in the new dcu now and that's going to be in 2025. So you're kind of getting a scope for where we're headed and, and when we'll really be seeing that massive boom of DC projects, which will be continued by um, Lanterns, which they're kind of selling as this huge, massive TV event on HBO Max that's going to team it's up Jon Stewart and Hal Jordan, which is exciting. True Galactic Detectives. Yeah. Uh, space Cops uh, on Earth. 
um, they're they're saying that it's it's essentially kind of going to be like a true detective relationship mm-hmm. story about these two very different lanterns. Now, listen, I don't love. I'm not a fan of space cops. Yeah, I don't think I do it's like the Green most Lantern. exciting um, version of Green Lantern, but I do like True Detective. I love, and I love the fact that Hal, uh, you get Hal and John together. Me too. It's really cool and really and interesting. And I would love, I want to see a world where they, even though I get it, it's like space cops, it's going to be a bit grittier. I still think one of the most interesting things about John Stewart is that he was originally like an architect, which is the best power you could ever like the best life you could ever have before being a green lantern so i would love to see some of that brought in and they i think that if you're wondering what the dcu is going to be about this is the show that you need to watch because they say this plays a really big role in leading into the main story we're telling across film and tv when the pair will discover like a terrifying mystery that ties into the kind of larger story so that's very interesting i wonder what it would be because true detective i think of like the first season, cults. I think of like this really intimate, gritty mm. serial killer story. So I'm kind of wondering. I mean, look, I did just have a terrible idea. I'm sure this is not what it's going to be. But in my head, I'm like, when you think about murder mystery and you think about DC Universe, you think about identity crisis. And I mean, oh, yeah. I don't think, I don't necessarily oh know if that's what it's going to be. And if it was, I trust James. Suicide Squad, I still, I will tell you guys, if you're not sure about this James Gunn universe, go and watch that movie. It is so subversive and cool. And the performances that he gets out of this unbelievable cast. There is a Taika Waititi two-minute cameo that will break your heart. Like, it's so good. And I would I would trust the person who made Suicide Squad to oversee an identity crisis that is not so, as problematic as the original. So for those <laughs> for those uh, uh, who are not versed in identity crisis, it's it, it, on the most basic level, it's about a uh, mind, a memory wiping scheme that causes various characters, villains and heroes, to, to maybe not actually know who they are, um, and the the things that the the various characters go through to uncover, you know, what's at the bottom of this. Yeah, and it and it centers around like a what appears to be like a murder mystery. Right. And it's written by Brad Meltzer, who was a murder mystery writer, and Rags Morales did the art. When this book came out, I actually like really did love it. I was very young and I loved murder mysteries. It has some less than appealing treatment of women and depictions of mental health. But I do wonder if some kind of multiversal or superheroic murder mystery that changes the way superheroes see themselves could potentially be at the core of what they're doing here. I think there's a chance that we could see a a version of that. And then we talked about identity crisis, which seems wild if you know it, but we're about to say the wildest thing that got announced. Oh, the wildest, (laughs) truly the wildest, uh, kind of a storm of wildness, Uh, I think you could say. So they're bringing in, they're bringing the DC imprint wild storm, uh, story and team, the authority into DC continuity proper. Here's Safran on the authority. They're kind of like Jack Nicholson and a few good men. They know what you want. They want you on that wall, or at least they believe that. So the authority was kind of like a very, a very, very late 90s, early 2000s yes. take on superheroes, super violent superheroes who will, uh, it, it was kind of like a bid to bring a kind of Justice League pastiche into uh, the kind of like uh, into modern 
pop storytelling, much like, uh, you know, Marvel's Ultimate Universe and the well, Ultimates. It's a very kind of, kind of say, like similar kind of vein. It's really good that you bring up the Ultimates. So I would say the authority. I'm going to I'm going to put it out there because this is the kind of stuff we talk about. It was uh, so I, I love Jim Lee. Jim Lee founded this imprint Wildstorm, part of Image Comics, one of the original six studios. It had it was called Wildstorm. This is like the sweetest thing I think about it all the time because the two main books were Wilds, Cats, and Stormwatch. Very cute, Jim Lee. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Stormwatch basically evolved into the authority under the authorship of Warren Ellis, who recently, over the last few years, a lot of people within the comics community came out uh, on a website mm-hmm. called So Many of Us that you can read and talked about how they had experienced, um, I will say, alleged, for legal reasons, like alleged abusive and manipulative relationships uh, with Ellis. So I think that's really important because to bring up, just because the authority put him on the map, and this was really the book that gave him the celebrity status that would later lead to those conversations. But what I will say is you brought up the ultimate universe. This book was created by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. The second volume was made by Mark Miller. And this gritty, grounded, violent take was then taken by Miller and Brian Hitch, and they created the Ultimate Universe. And the Ultimate Universe went on to create and inspire the MCU as we know it. So the Authority has like a massive, massive impact and legacy, but it is so... It's it's not as grotesque as the boys, but it's definitely in that Venn diagram of edgy, violent, these superheroes will that kill was, you. I mean, that was the, the mission statement was push the envelope mm-hmm. on on what superheroes are. Yeah. And I'll say this. I think that they're the bad guys. I think I th- so. In this you know, DCU, we, I de- think they're the bad guys. I, I think that they're going to be the bad guys. And I think this is, I think the authority and the way the authority go about their business, who knows where they come from. Maybe they come from another dimension. They show up here and then they're just like, oh, great, perfect. This world needs superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is going to be the reason that the JLA and our heroes come together in a team to fight them. I love that. I think that's a brilliant idea because also the original, there's multiple different versions of the authority throughout history. So like you probably wouldn't know most of the characters because who is Jenny Sparks? Nobody knows. That's one of the original leaders. But I will tell you two characters that you will know who if they come into this show, which I believe they will, will probably be the break-off team who become the roguish anti-heroic heroes rather than being part of the villains, which is Midnighter and Apollo, who are two of comics' first gay characters. They're married. They're in love. They actually end up adopting a younger version of the leader of the authority later on. And they have become huge, huge cult fans in the DC universe with, you know, Steve Orlando did like a Midnighter series and there was a Midnight and Apollo spinoff. And I think that we could see those characters kind of break off. But I think you're right. The the way they describe these characters, James Gunn is a huge Wildstorm fan. He said he loves Wildstorm. Yeah, he wants to bring all of the characters into the DCU so we could see like, you know, Wildcats. We could see, I think, people like Grifter and so, stuff. So, what? Dude, Wildcats are the DCU. I believe it. So I'm, already, I'm already hearing... <laughs> I'm already hearing rumblings about Jim Lee's involvement and stuff, which would make me really excited. So... I think this is really interesting, but the way they're talking about it, they're saying they think they're the good guys. They believe what they're doing yes. is right. 
that is very different from the other kinds of stories that Gun Gun likes to tell a story like Suicide Squad, who are the bad guys who think they're the bad guys, but then actually they do something good. I love this idea of a team who truly believes, and that is the point of the authority. They believe they are a higher authority. They believe that they should be outside the realm of the government. Supermen in the in the in the like German philosophical sense, you know, and, and they were created. Some of them, like Midnight or Apollo, they were essentially created by like an evil scientist. Then you have, you know, a, a Jenny Sparks is essentially like somebody who lives for a century, who represents the the, the spirit of the twenty first century uh, and the twentieth century. I will say that sounds like a Grant Morrison idea to me. I feel like this was very inspired by the Morrison's outlook, but comes with like a less hopeful vibe. Um, but yeah, Mark Miller worked on it. Dustin Wem worked on it. Frank Quietly worked on it. Grant Morrison wrote two issues of the third volume, which were illustrated by Gene Ha, then disappeared around the time him and Mark Miller fell out. So this is like the absolute roster of famous creators who got their start or were involved on this book. Ed Brubaker wrote some of this. Like this is, this was a a, a kind of hub for comic book creator talent that would establish a lot of people. Late 90s, early 2000s were a great time in comics creatively mm-hmm. because the entire industry's back was against the exactly. wall. Exactly. That's when you got some of the wildest Marvel stuff. Joe Quesada comes in at Marvel. Yeah. Uh, you got Frankencastle. It's Punisher who's a Frankenstein. Like, sure, <laughs> I love that idea. It was such a creative time, and I think it makes a lot of sense for Gunn. I was rereading a lot of these comics. A lot of the stuff, even for 1999, was, Very that didn't not age good. well. <laughs> so I think, there's some not good but stuff But you know there. what? We have seen in both Marvel and DC. They'll clean it up. We've seen great reconsiderations and reimaginings. So I think this could be one of them. And I think in a post-boys world, this is an incredibly smart choice. What I would love to see when David Duvernay adapted DMZ, which was written by Brian Wood, who was a creator who had also had alleged abuse and manipulation kind of wheel-like accusations. Ava went out of her way to hire one of the women who had first broken the silence on Brian Wood as a writer. I would love to see the authority become a space for that too, where some of these women who had had relationships with Warren Ellis are allowed to be part of deciding how this story is going to be told if it's part of it. I I thought that was really cool that Ava did that, and I'd be very interested to see something similar happen. Next up, Paradise Lost. Uh, This is going to be a Game of Thrones uh, political-style take on Themyscira, home in the Amazons, birthplace of Wonder Woman. Kind of, it seems like a Wonder Woman kind of origin story, so, yeah, in a sense. I think what they're saying is it's going to be a generation before Diana. So I think we can assume that Diana will be a baby, probably, because a generation right. before for Amazons could be thousands of years. Um, and the coolest thing about this that I think has a lot of potential to go both great or terrible, but I'm going for great. I'm staying optimistic because <laughs> I want to see. Yeah. I want to see a Game of Thrones Greek mythology political intrigue show. The idea is this is going to show why there are no men on Themyscira. This is why I would assume that we'll get something around Ares trying to conquer them. I hope they go for more of that kind of a war theme than the Brian Azzarello style kind of like kind of leaning more into like the creepy rapey kind of aspect of of why men wouldn't (laughs) be invited but I would be very interested I think this could be so cool and I love the idea that this is going to be a prestige HBO Max show guess what guys we know HBO can make great Game of Thrones style programming because they made Game of Thrones so yes we want to see this 
I think this is really cool. Imagine casting the kind of casting we're going to get for all these brilliant Amazons and the kind of way we could see them portrayed on screen and get this time to spend there. So much of the conversation around those Wonder Woman movies, especially Wonder Woman 2, was like, I want to stay on Themyscira. Like those first 20 minutes on Themyscira, let's make that the whole thing. So I think this is really cool that they're going to... they're going to do that. Up next, uh, a, a a real weirdo deep pull <laughs> from James Gunn, uh, Booster Gold, uh, live action series. Booster Gold is, this is a very James Gunn template. The, the thing that you laid out, which is the losers and, mm-hmm, ba- and bad mm-hmm. guys who kind of get pulled into being heroes. Booster Gold is like a loser from the future who uh, travels back in time with advanced technology to become a hero. Yeah. Basically. And I think this is this is really cool. This is going to be, I think, a peacemaker style unexpected hit, because yeah. in the comics, as James says this in the video, This is a cult fan favorite character. Everyone has been saying, why not Booster Gold? Why not Booster Gold? And one of the most popular, successful parts of Booster Gold in the comics is his relationship with Blue Beetle. So I think that we will see that will probably be that crossover between the Blue Beetle movie, which they were so happy with and believed in so much that they moved it from HBO Max to theatrical. I think that is where we will see... Blue Beetle come in and cross over. So the interesting thing to wonder is, are they going to do a young Booster Gold so that they are contemporaries? If so, it could be cool to cast like the kid who played Hawk in in Cobra Kai so you get that kind of reuniting. Mm -hmm. Or, I'm going back to it, Channing Tatum. He'd be a brilliant Booster Gold and you could have this kind of older mentor, younger Blue Beetle kind of relationship of the real hero versus this kind of faux hero, but who always ends up getting pulled into these kind of heroic schemes. I think this is going to be a really, really big deal. Next up, another uh, another possible entry into We Were Right. We were talking uh, in the studio and Yeah, this is a, online, this is a pre-pro, <laughs> pre-pro we were About right. how much... About how uh, we thought the Bat family had to be involved in, in this iteration of the DCU and that we were hoping to see Damien... Uh, son of Bruce Wayne and the Brave and the Bold will do that. The Brave and the Bold will introduce Batman and Robin in this kind of like father-son story. It's uh, we're gonna Bruce is gonna discover that he has a child, uh, and then he's gonna discover that his child, who will uh, at one point become Robin, loves to murder. He's just this a is cool ten-year-old assassin it, it, with like a he's ri- just loves and James Gunn de- described him <laughs> a little son of a bitch. That's a good description of Damian Wayne. He is a little son of a bitch. And they very excitingly said, this is based on Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin comics, which obviously, for obvious reasons, they couldn't name it Batman and Robin because of the incredible Joel Schumacher movie, Batman (laughs) and Robin, which, you know, everyone knows I'm a huge fan of. But The Brave and the Bold is a very exciting title for it because not only are we going to get Damian Wayne and James said, this is the beginning of the Bat family, which is very exciting for us. Very exciting. But... Not only are we going to get Damian Wayne, who I think is such a beloved Robin and people are really excited to see him brought to life, but the fact that they're calling it the Brave and the Bold makes me think there's going to be team up elements that we're going to see some of those weirder characters. Brave and the Bold's where you'd see like a music meister or like some really weird out there uh, villains, especially if you've watched the cartoon, which is so great and in the comics too. So I think this is a very exciting possibility. And also again, Grant Morrison's birthday. Thanks for the Grant Morrison love on Grant Morrison's birthday. I'm a huge fan of this choice. 
I want to know, how do you introduce Damien and build a bat family from Damien? I love Gotham Academy, so I'd love to see maps. Like, that's one of my oh, favorite cool. Batman yeah. characters. And you do the younger bat family. But I think everyone knows the interesting thing here is getting to meet the other previous Robins at some point and how you build that in from the ground up of Damien. I think that's a really interesting storytelling choice. We've seen Dick's story many, many times. We've seen the original yeah. Robin. We've even gotten to see Tim Drake now, you know, in the TV stuff. So I think this is a great choice and I can't, I want to see that little sassy kid that they cast. This could be like a hit girl from Kick-Ass, Chloe Moretz. Level I, I think of that casting. That's the vibe. I think that it is, has to be. Yeah. You need a 10-year-old who's going to swear like a sailor who's going to chop people's heads off with a samurai sword and who's just going to cause Batman. Damien is basically Batman's karma for all the children that he pulled into 100%. his war. <laughs> and by the way, as as he becomes a, a teenager and an older and a younger, uh, a young man, a true young man, continues to cause Chaos. all manner of problems for Bruce Wayne all throughout the years. Um then next up, this was kind of a surprise. I think, I think this is the most unexpected. Yeah, this is this is a story that came out like last year. Literally just uh, Tom finished. King, yeah, Tom King and uh, everyone's favorite uh, former CIA uh, <laughs> agent who is a, a comic book creator and uh, Bill Quist Evely's. Oh, Bill Quist's art. I just, I cannot tell you. Read this book. Yeah, it's great. This Bill Quist Evely's art is Unbelievable. Like many other things that Tom King... King Sci-fi Supergirl, it is So really I'm going to cool. tell you what this is. Tom King pitched <laughs> yeah. DC and he said, what if we did True Grit but with Supergirl? And Supergirl is not the girl asking for help because her family's been killed, though we know her family died on Krypton. In fact, Supergirl is the grizzled older drunk who this young girl is going to ask to take on a quest for revenge. And it is basically narratively true grit but matt lopez the colorist and bill chris everly create this swirling cosmos this absolutely wild space western and that to me is what i think appeals to gun it it's guardians of the galaxy but r-rated it's two women in a western it's the last of us and the mandalorian it's these lone wolf and cub stories but here we have them yeah. centered around two women and i cannot tell you like the art in this book you will not believe it. it 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 begins in a high fantasy planet so everyone speaks like they're in lord of the rings there's all these kind of wild monsters and aliens and bilkus and matt bring this visual language to it that is just unlike any other comic i i tire of the the dark twists that Tom King often brings, but I think that Everly and Lopez's art makes this something that made me really excited when this was on there. It's it's a very interesting take. But I will say, this is my one thing. I wrote a piece about this for IGN. I will say it here. It's not a spoiler, because if you don't know what I'm talking about, you won't know. But I'm saying, let the super pets live, James Gunn. That's my <laughs> one change. That's my one change, bro. That's all I want. Bill Chris's art uh, and let the super pets live. And then finally, this project I thought was greenlit by by our own Rosie. It Knight, was me who demanded who demanded that it be included in the first announcement of the DC slate. Folks, Swamp Thing is here. Hey, I actually was Thing. outside the Warner Brothers offices every day with a sign. I Swamp. I Thing. have to say, Swamp thank Thing. you. This is no joke. Like. 
thank you to everyone who messaged me to say congratulations. This was so funny <laughs> that I actually had to do a post about it because so many of my friends and so many people who listen to the show and so many people who read my work texted me and they were like, and they DM me and they were like, congratulations. You did it. Like Swamp Thing you is happening. It. You did it. I did a post where I was like, thank you for all your congratulations. And uh, my sister texted me and was like, did I miss something? And I was like, don't worry. It's just a Swamp Thing movie. I'm not writing it. But I feel I feel so close to this movie. I'm very excited. If it was up to me, I would say bring back James Wan. I love that Swamp Thing show. I know that's not going to happen. It's, I'm hearing, I think James Mangold did a tweet with Swamp Thing. Mm. And I think people are thinking that's the way it's going to go. James James says it's going to be a very dark horror film about the origins of Swamp Thing. If you don't know those origins, um, uh, you'll read it, read it, read it, and you'll learn. You'll read it. You will yeah, understand. Yeah. It's really, really brilliant, strange, esoteric stuff. You can start with the original uh, Lemween stuff, or you can skip straight to Saga of Swamp Thing, which is Alan Moore. Yeah. There's also a great current Swamp the Thing. Iconic, the iconic Alan yeah, Moore Yeah, and that's the, the stuff. If you saw thing. my post, that's, yeah. that's where a lot of the images came from, Right of Spring and stuff like that. There's also a great current Swamp Thing run by Ram V. So I would say I hope that the horror aspect is there, but I hope it is sprinkled with some of the gothic romance that I believe is the best thing about that's the heart. That's, that's the, heart the emotion. The emotional heart of swamp. Because like, yeah, monster in the fucking swamp. We've seen it. But he's the, there's the, a humanity. The emotional, yeah, the heart of swamp thing is this longing of the swamp thing yes. for the love that he used to have and that he can no and longer the yearning engage for with. humanity. The yes. yearning because there's this very brilliant twist on on swamp thing that you won't see coming when you read the books. Also, I will say I've said it before. I'll say it again. Go and watch the Swamp Thing TV show that was originally on DC Universe. I believe it is more than likely on HBO Max now. It is just absolute dynamite. Crystal Reed from uh, from Teen Wolf plays Abby, and she is so brilliant. And the practical effects are unbelievable. And it is just the most wonderful, lovely, romantic, weird, gothic horror show. And I know we only got one season, but I will always hold it close to my heart. So watch that to prepare. But yes, I also really like the way James Gunn was like, this is extremely different in tone from anything else on this slate. But I just had to get it, <laughs> it in there. Be. And I was it like, has to I'm be. ready. Yeah. I was like, please, I'm ready. Well, a very exciting announcement. I, I have to say you can't be anything but excited about what James is attempting to do. Exactly. And I think that it's what has been necessary for a long time. And if they can pull this off... I think the comics, the storytelling space is going to be all the better for it. It's going to be really fun if he can do it. I just think it shows the thing we've been saying that's most exciting about James and Peter being in charge of this. These are people who love comics. They get it. They 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 love comics. This is a this is a a lineup of someone who has favorite comics that they wanted to adapt, which we rarely see. So I can't wait. Up next, the mailbag. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on Animal Welfare Certified Bone-In Beef Short Ribs, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie and Ground Lamb. Grab an Olive Bull Bread from the Bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21+. plus. Please drink responsibly. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. 
On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Stepping out of the airlock and into the X-ray Vision Crypt, a.k.a. the mailbag, to answer your questions. Here's one from Mike. Mike asks, the MCU is very global. Currently, you have Shang-Chi running around in China. You have Layla in Egypt. You have Cameron and Red Dagger in Pakistan. You have Blade and the Eternals in London and Moon Knight all over Europe. What are some other global heroes you'd like to see in the MCU? I have one that instantly leaps to mind, but you tell me, Rosie, who would you like to see? (laughs) Okay, well, this is like my dream question because basically getting onto one of— when you talk about global characters in the MCU, getting onto one of mine and Jason's favorite topics, aka the X Men. Yes. So, um, Colossus, you know, I think that's someone I'd really love to see in the MCU. One of our X Men faves, uh, you know, the the Russian kind of legend, the huge hunky boy. I, mm. I love Colossus. I mean, I would love to see Karma. So you're talking about like a a Vietnamese character. That would be so wonderful. I love Chamber. Um, That's one of my favorite characters. And he's from London. I think John Boyega is my dream Chamber casting because I think like the only thing you need about Chamber is that they're from, that he's from London. So, you know, that would be a cool Gen X character. Basically, all of mine are just X-Men characters. Wolverine, (laughs) he's from Canada. That's global. It's on the globe. You know, I think there's a, I think there's a big space for like, um, for like a reconsideration and like a recontextualization of like Sunfire to introduce oh, like yeah, a Japanese really hero. Yeah. Um, I would love to see like Monet and Penance come in. That would be really cool to have like African characters and also to have more, again, more weird X-Men characters. And I do think that, I think that Sunspot, like a real version of Sunspot mm. where you do the Brazilian character whose father is like a wealthy businessman. It, it opens up all these really interesting spaces into like corporate espionage, the Hellfire Club. But also he has one of the most interesting origin stories, which is essentially like he is a black character who is targeted by racist bullies. And that is when his powers ignite you know and his powers are so interesting visually so yeah global characters aka the x-men introduce them how about you uh i mean all of that is great Uh, i could not i i I could not avoid thinking about uh the late 80s 90s era x-men when they were hanging out in australia with yes uh with the teleporter gateway that's another uh great character i'd love to see love that but i'll tell you one that i think we're gonna i think we're going to get this is uh, Captain Britain and Excalibur. I think we're going to get it at some point. Oh, yeah. That makes so much sense. I mean, with Blade. Yeah. With, with with uh, you know, Kit Harrington, that Black Knight is going to become a character in the MCU. That's going to sure. be a thing. So I think that makes a lot of sense because you get Captain Britain, you get Excalibur, you can do some of that weird supernatural stuff. Okay. So in the comics at the moment, you know, they have this kind of like Betsy Braddock Captain mm-hmm. Britain. Do you think we could see a version like that? Or do you think it's going to be like a more traditional? I think it is. Too. I think that's what I think they're do. seeding. And and of course, we can't forget uh, also in Eastern Europe, our friend Bova in Mount Wondergore. <laughs> <laughs> my, 
my darling, my queen. Do I'm actually gonna? Uh, you heard it here first. Here's a cool exclusive. I'm gonna get a Bova tattoo <laughs> this month. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'll make sure to to reveal it first to the listeners of X-ray Vision. <laughs> Blakeney asks, what Marvel DC project are you most excited for? Or which are you most worried about, whether that's casting, story, or other factors? I mean, I'll start. I, I'm I'm really excited for the James Gunn era of DC. Yes. I think he's done some really wise things early on to kind of cut the cord to, you know, the kind of the more toxic side of the Snyder the div- era. He's talking about the divisive nature of the fandom and how he can't please yeah. everyone. I'm um, excited and, to see it. And I think that's a person who has proven that they have a track record and a point of view that works in this space. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. I totally agree. I I love that this is somebody who loves comics. It's also yeah. someone who had great and public personal growth. Yeah. I think the Suicide Squad movie that he made is an underrated gem that is just going to age like a fine wine and is one of the most radical superhero movies we've ever seen. I love that he came in really hard supporting the Blue Beetle movie, which I'm very yeah. excited about. Yes. Um, let's keep it DC because we talk about Marvel a lot. Most worried about. I think I can probably speak for both of us here, but it's The Flash. That's, yeah. that's what I'm most worried about. I don't... I mean- I, I Let us count know. the ways that yeah. we are worried about this. You know, this. it's like, I'm worried about it in general. I'm interested in what James is going to, how they're going to handle that. I think Peter Safran has made some of the best and had a hand in making some of the best Warner Brothers movies. I love, as everyone knows, I love Aquaman, the most profitable DC movie of all time, by the way. So I'm very excited. I'm excited to see how they handle this very tough challenge of The Flash. Even though I'm worried about The Flash, I think it will be an interesting watermark to see how they're going to approach it. And I'm hoping, because as the reporting has been out there, is that Ben Affleck is no longer going to be in it as Batman, mm. which was kind of reported. He came in because they people didn't understand why Michael Keaton was there. I'm assuming if you're James Gunn, you're probably going to be like, put Michael Keaton back in there. It's yeah. Batman. And now that Ben Affleck is is out, he's going to be involved in maybe directing a movie or something. I just think there's a lot of interesting options. But I, I'm really interested because I, I don't want to see Ezra as a Flash. Everyone knows that. But I, I do, I want to, I'm most worried about this inclusive young version of the Justice League that that that, that had supposedly been setting up with this, mm-hmm. um, you know, new Supergirl. I, I really want to see where that goes. And I hope something positive can come out of it. But I still don't even believe the movie's coming out this year. That's the real I, truth. I, don't, I can't I don't, see it. I don't believe it either. Andrew asks, in the spirit of The Last of Us and other lone wolf and cub style stories, what ex-team member would you most trust and least trust to babysit your child? Niece, nephew, pet, or loved one. Well, this is easy for me, um, I think. I, I would, first of all, it's Wolverine because he's done it so many times. Obviously. I, I, I was going to say, he is the dad. He will he look after your dad. kid. He you will kill everyone for your kid. He's taking the kid. You can't count how many times he has done this with... You know, Power Pack is probably my favorite version of this. When oh, he's, I love that. Remember that one when he's yeah, like uh, when he's on the, the run from the Reavers and and Lady Deathstrike, and he's like been reduced to his like feral state because of like how injured he is, and then they come across Power Pack, and then he helps them, even though because he's just you know like good to the core, even though he is a hardened killer. Um, I I think it would have to be Wolverine. Least trust. I don't know. 
does Mr. Sinister count as an X-Men right now? <laughs> I think you can do it. I think you can do it. I think right? you can do I it. I mean, like, like, like Mutant Nation is really united, and, and he has Mr. been an Sinister, important— he would probably uh, do an experiment on your child. Uh, you say what you want. Listen, we've seen— <laughs> Yes, he would. 100% he would. And uh, listen, Mr. Sinister is on side. He's been an important part of the Krakoa-era X-Men, obviously, and in, in, without him— there would be no uh, reg- uh, resurrection process, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I guess I could count him as an X Men, and thus, so. as an X Men, Mister Sinister. No way, keep no him way. the fuck you know, away from you... my pet loved one, whoever. Yeah. Okay. So I'm. I agree. Wolverine was my pick. I'm gonna go controversial, but I okay. believe it is. I do believe it's fair. You know who I never leave my kid with ever, ever, <laughs> okay. ever. Charles okay. Xavier. Oh, that's a good one. Do not yeah. put my child in your. Baby army, do not <laughs> do not send my child to your private school, which I probably pay thousands of dollars for, and then you're going to put them in the war room. No, thank you. You're not looking after my child. The child's going to end up in a war. It's going to be bad. Maybe I'll let, you... maybe maybe I'll let my child come and 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 play baseball. But and, that's and it. This is this is without even like <laughs> getting into all the times. After saying, hey, uh, telepaths, you should, you, by the way, you shouldn't just go into people's minds. Don't do that. He's mind blocking everyone. Meanwhile, he's done it to everybody. Also, he's but, read everybody's minds. He's put mental blocks in everybody's minds. He's erased he's invasive fucking memory a million no times. Consent. Yeah, he just Also, does as well, it. look, nobody wants to remember this, even, um, and this is because, understandable, it was a bad choice. Stanley, this was a bad choice. But let's not forget. That early in the X-Men's original tenure, before the giant size X-Men, which reimagined them and, and we all love, Charles Xavier was creeping on Jean Grey. Oh, he was saying, Jean, you are my is, student. And so this I'm, not, is, I'm not leaving my child there. This is one of those things. <laughs> this is one of those moments. It's like X-Men number six, legitimately, yeah, where it happens. I know Jack, where it's like, I know Jack you, was like, don't do it, Stan. And yeah, Stan was like, <laughs> doing a lettering This pass. is one of those things that, I think we've all just agreed to pretend that that never happened. <laughs> yeah. He's like, how could I ever tell her that I am in love? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't, like, just don't do it, bro. did this happen? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I think that's a good one. By the way, uh, while we're on Charles Xavier, did you see, um, I think it's Immortal X-Men, one of the recent Immortal X-Men's, where there's a really cool uh, uh, exchange where Charles is like wondering what would have happened had if him and Magnus had like switched power sets like mm-hmm. if he was Magneto and Magneto is Charles Xavier and he was like well I'll tell you what 100% what would have happened is all humans would be dead because <laughs> and then he goes into like how he Charles Xavier could have easily killed all yeah. humans he's like you know my power allows me to 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 locate mutants therefore I can also locate humans and mm-hmm. it would have just been an easy work of about a decade of planting, you know, uh, t- uh, subliminal messages mm-hmm. in people's minds, causing them to not eat, kill themselves, whatever. And it would take about 10 years and I could kill every single human on Earth. Yeah, I'm I'm really <laughs> excited. Like they're doing so much good stuff. So speaking of I'm glad you brought this up because when you started talking about Mr. Sinister, I was thinking Marvel's doing this event called Sins of Sinister and Kieran Gillen and Paco Medina they're doing a book called Immoral X-Men yeah. <laughs> instead of Immortal X-Men. And it's like 10 years in the future and the X-Men are loved and adored instead of 
you know, uh, hated and feared. So I'm I'm really excited to see where that goes. It's a great time to be an X-Men fan. It really is. And I would argue there's almost been no better time. Not in our age that we can really appreciate it. Like, yeah. I wish I if I'd have been this age when, you know, new X-Men was coming out, I probably would have felt the same way. But it, I was like 12. They're at the peak of their powers. Kyle asks, hey, Jason and Rosie, with me wanting to get into comics and X-Men being my fave from the original cartoon, yes. what comic book issue series would you recommend I start with for further clarification? I'm a black gay man. So obviously I am obsessed with Storm and I watch the Phoenix and Dark Phoenix saga every three months or so. Huh. Rosie, what do you got? I got it. Where should I got we start? It. So first of all, I'll just say you love Dark Phoenix saga. Read it. You can get it in a yeah, collection. Dark Phoenix saga. It's great. Some of the best stuff ever. One of the most yeah, just absolutely wild stuff. Um, wasn't the way it was supposed to go, but you know what? Some really great X-Men storytelling. Yeah. Days of Future Past. I always say that we always Can't, say this is a yeah. great way to start because it's a couple of issues. You can it's read literally it. Two, it's two crazy issues. For the impact that it has, the it fact blows that it's my mind. two issues, not even like a, you couldn't even call it an arc. It's really just like part one, part two. Yeah, literally. And yeah. It's, it's had so much impact. It's so iconic. It's got that unbelievable, you know, cover. And it's just so cool. I, rec- I In a chat with uh, Louise Simonson, I, I discovered that she was the one who came up with the idea of the dead, dead, dead. Like, well, yeah. it was really cool stuff. Um, yeah. And for Storm, this is one of my favorite questions. Basically, we talk about it a lot. You want to go to Uncanny X-Men. There's a few different things that I'm going to lay out here. There's an arc that's just two issues again, 172 to 173, called To Have and Have Not. And that's where Storm changes her whole look. Yeah, you know, I love where that she, one. She, she, Classic, she makes iconic. friendship. She finds an unexpected friend and just changes her look. And Kitty Pride's so angry. Kitty used to suck. She was always having a bad opinion. <laughs> um, Jewel, which is one of my favorite issues that I actually have, which is X Men, Uncanny X Men 201. Storm fights Cyclops Storm for, the, fight for the leadership Cyclops. of the X Men. <laughs> that's one of the best ever. If you love Storm, that's a great issue. And then. No powers, baby. No she did powers. It with no powers. No powers. And speaking of no powers. Uncanny X-Men 186, which is Life Death, that is kind of the culmination. And and, and it's this really interesting story about Storm and Forge and their kind of burgeoning relationship. But it has this unbelievably tragic twist to do with Storm losing her powers. So those would be some great places to start. But as always, Uncanny X-Men, you can go to Barnes & Nobles and they sell little digests of these that are really small, like an Archie. You can buy these in trades. You can get them online. You can go to your library and read them. But Kyle, I'm so glad you sent this question because we love Storm. I truly believe Storm, I believe she is the way in to the X-Men. I think she's your premier X-Men character for 2023 MCU kind of I have stuff. One, I have one more to add. Do Storm it. Storm is kind of like weirdly sidelined in this one, but she's also like the motivating factor in it. And it's just one of my favorite stories uh, in in mutant lore, certainly of the Claremont era. It's uh, the, it's collected in a graphic novel edition called The Asgardian Wars, which collects oh, yeah. X-Men and Alpha, Alpha Flight 1 and 2, uh, New Mutant Special Edition, and X-Men Annual Number 9. Uh, and the basic gist is this. Uh, the New Mutants uh, get uh, sucked into a, a conflict in Asgard because of the machinations of Loki and the Enchantress. Um, uh, and Storm gets wrapped in it too. And then the X-Men, not knowing what's happened to their their charges, the New Mutants, then has to charge into Asgard to try and get them out. And it's wonderful, swashbuckling. It's like uh, Art Adams at his absolute... Uh. 
the best. peak of his fucking powers. I it's love just Adams. Incredible, super adventure, unbelievable art, great story. It's just a great one. One of the all-time greats from the X-Men. Yeah. So Matt is asking a question. Matt, I'm going to yeah. preempt this question by saying thank you, because me and Jason talk about this all the time, and I know it's one of our favorite topics. So yeah. let's, let's lay it out in a more concrete way. Matt asks, I know that the MCU has influenced some changes in the comics as far as character art and some storylines, etc. Do you think as the comics and the MCU develop in tandem that comics will start being written in such a way that intends to become part of the MCU? Would there be a world in which a specific storyline or comic arc is written with the intent of being the groundwork in which they become MCU canon? I'm just going to start quickly by saying... I truly am of the belief that they're already doing this. I think and it's that already, they already there. Do it. Yeah, I think they already do it. I, I don't think it's a one to one. No, I think what they do is they treat. I think they treat the comics as a very, very active like research and development for mm-hmm. the movies, seeing what works, what kind of like fun adventures people could go into, what uh, characters a, they're going to highlight. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Like, I think they're very strategic in terms of what characters are going to appear in the movies. You start seeing one shots and different things happen in the MCU. And we mentioned we mentioned all the time uh, the kind of like aborted attempt to raise the inhuman to mm-hmm. the level of exactly, you know, exactly. what, That's a what great mutants early example. were in the comics. That was, a, that was a direct attempt to fill in for the X-Men who at the time uh, Disney didn't own the IP uh, and by replacing them with Inhumans. So I, I think you're exactly right. They do it already. They yeah, do I it think... already. Not not in, not with a direct connection, but I think they they're clearly very strategic about the comics stories they release, the characters who they spotlight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think they see the comics as almost like a a way to introduce ideas yeah. and characters back into the the mindset of the fans. Think about our wonderful number one best bud, Cody Ziegler, and Spider-Punk. Cody's been absolutely smashing it, reintroducing Spider-Punk to people, and then we find out Spider-Punk's going to be in... Uh, the new yeah, guess into the spider uh, almost like across a lock. the spider like you knew you know that was I mean? going to happen. It's yeah. like so. It's those little things that we can get seeding. That's my thing. Yeah, they are they seeding something in the comics to the MCU. Eve Ewing, another incredible friend of the pod. Yeah, oh, wow, we're so lucky. Um, we are. Eve has a brilliant new Monica Rambo photon. It's not a coincidence that Monica is highlighted in the book with that title, Photon, right now, before the Marvels. So these things are there. Now, what I think is interesting is Kevin Feige is in charge of, like, publishing operations, Mm -hmm. I believe, now. So what I will be interested to see is, will there be a world where it's less about seeding and hinting? And will there be a world where there's an MCU line of comics or there's a direct, more textual connection? That's what I think the next evolution could be. And I'd be very interested to see if that happened. X-Ray Vision will be back. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on Animal Welfare Certified Bone-In Beef Short Ribs, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie and Ground Lamb. Grab an Olive Bull Bread from the Bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21+. plus. Please drink responsibly. 
Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. And we're back. Jacob asks, with James Gunn taking over DC and with a younger Superman, is it officially New 52 time? <laughs> now, okay, for those not versed Controversial. Uh, in, 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 in the DC comics, so both Marvel and DC around the same time, I want to say like six or seven years ago. No, we're re- old. It was in 2011. Oh, my God. Jesus. So I know. 12 it's horrific. Years ago, it's horrific. Fucking Christ. <laughs> 12 years ago, rebooted their entire line. In Marvel, it was called Heroes Reborn. In DC, it was called uh, The New 52. Basically, all the 52 titles were rebooted and started fresh. They, and they stripped down everything and re- relaunched with I only 52 titles. Look, it is one of the most influential, for all its controversy, it's one of the most influential uh, comic book situations of all time follows the conclusion of flashpoint which obviously is now like such an influential thing it out of it there are so many books that people love and choices and characters were completely reimagined but it was very controversial as all kind of line-wide reboots are the (laughs) marvel stuff you know the, the marvel uh, opened up marvel now which is some of my favorite stuff young avengers ms marvel all of that stuff dc this was really like it was really a super. It's hard to express how much of a big deal it was. It was a huge when, deal, and it when was it happened. And, and like, like many DC events, it was an attempt to kind of streamline the the kind of just very very overgrown, overlapping, and oftentimes and contradictory people, lawyer for people to, make to jump it easier on. for people to jump on. It's always yeah, about jump just on jumping on point. And I'll tell you what, I did jump on, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I had a good time with it. Would we? Now, I'm very interested. This is a great point. I don't necessarily know if young Superman hints at kind of New 52, but James Gunn has recently been reading Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin. I Mm. do think this is an era. Jim Lee is like such a huge icon who was such a big part of the New 52 kind of era. And, And I do think we could be seeing people looking back to this almost as, like we said, you know, 12 years ago, this is historical now. This is kind of like people in when they were making the 2000 X-Men movie looking back to the 80s. <laughs> like we're really, you know, I, I think New 52 could be a touch point. I don't ever think they're going to say it's directly inspired by the New 52 because I do think it's so controversial. But I do think that already, for example, not necessarily like the greatest example, but the fact to say this is point in proof that people are looking at it. The version of Black Adam and the comics they were drawing from mm. was very directly from the New 52. Yeah. Shazam, that which I love, and I'm really excited for the next one, that New 52. So we're already seeing characters seeded in the previous DCEU, Flashpoint, New 52, prior to, but around the same time. I think that there's a version where the New 52 is incredibly influential on this, but I will also say James Gunn is a stone-cold weirdo like us. And so I think he we're really also going to be getting some weirder 
more deep cut. You know, I could imagine him doing like a Batman ink. You know, oh, the, that the, would be cool. That kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm very interested to see where it goes. But will we ever see a movie called New Fifty Two or an allusion to it? I don't know. It would be a brave. It would be a bold move. <laughs> I, I will say it, it in terms of broad storylines. It's kind of a natural starting point if you want to, in terms of where to start stories. And contemporary stories. Contemporary stories that are grounded in today's world, not like with, you know, Superman appearing in the fucking 60s or some shit Mm -hmm. like that. So I think it it makes a lot of sense, maybe not as a one-to-one adaptation, but a kind of spiritual adaptation to say, okay— New ownership in town, you know, new uh, creative direction. We're going to new 52 this mm-hmm. film universe. Yeah. I think that do actually I think does make sense. Do I people within DC and Warner Brothers may be using that phrase as you just used it? Yes. Yeah. I believe it. Okay. Tyrannosaurus Greg asks a wonderful, truly wonderful question. Would you want a Star Wars What If animated series? Wow. And if so... What would you want the first season to be? Like, what would some ideas be of stories that you would want to see? Anakin kills Palpatine right away and becomes emperor. Oh, I love that. Okay, mine would, because one of my first ones is like the, it's like the the coin flip of that, which is what if Padme never died? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I love that those two would be so good. Yeah. What if What if Anakin killed Palpatine and what if Padme never died? I'd like to see both. That would be really cool. Yeah. And under in my imagination, Anakin uh, kills Palpatine. He gets his kids and he raises them as dark Siths. I love uh, that. While ruling the galaxy. That is with so hatred cool. and fear in his heart. I, I think that's the most exciting thing about a what if one. Imagine if they came at it with the aesthetic sensibilities of visions. So it looks different. It's but there's so many options. Like obviously. I'm an old school. I'm a. I'm. I'm like an old head. I'm. A, I'm an old person. So like, my first thought was like, what if Leia and Han's kids were Jaina Solo and Jason Solo, and you that have like so the cool. legend yeah. stuff, and it's, instead of Ben being kind of a Jason, you actually get to see that legends canon brought to life in a more contemporary way. I would also be like a. What if Finn and Poe fell in love? Like, why not do it? It's animated. Like, let us have fun. I think that's the power of what if is you can do so much. You could do the smallest little story and then you could do like the most expansive, huge canon changing moments like this idea of Anakin. I love that him raising the kids like that, getting to see a real dark Luke. I mean, what if Obi-Wan didn't die on the Death Star? Oh, imagine. You could have a lot of fun. Uh, What? Oh, yeah, no, another Legends one I do, like, what if Luke met Mara Jade? Just so oh, we wow. could see. <laughs> so we could see Mara Jade. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so there's so many incredible ones. I love that, what if Obi-Wan didn't die? I mean, that you could do 10 seasons of Star, of Star Wars, what if You really could. Uh, you know, if there was, and there is, well... I was about to say, there is no, I I was about to say there's no kind of like multiverse kind of effect in Star Wars. But then I remembered Mm. uh, Rebels, the world between worlds. Oh, uh, my God. (laughs) One of the best TV shows of all time. So, like, let's put a pin in that. Maybe there is. um, But, God, that would be really fun. That's a really cool idea, Tyrannosaurus Greg. Yeah, Tyrannosaurus Um, Greg, get Disney to pay you for that one because that's primo. 
Elizabeth Thunderwood asks, how much of Marva's funeral procession, this is from Andor, going early was a communal coordinated effort to support Cass rescuing Bix? Did Pegland Cass agree to meet at the shipyard and set that escape up? Or how much was an expression of how individuals spiritually aligned uh, will ultimately cross paths and entwine? I think I, the way I read it was it wasn't a conscious effort on mm-hmm. anybody's part, but it was, and I think this is supported by the themes of the story and the things that we saw, I think it was an expression of people were at their breaking point. They were fed up. A beloved member of their community had been had had been pounded to her death, you know, and um, many members of their community had been oppressed, imprisoned, and killed, down. as she said. Yeah, so many people. And whether or not it was a conscious effort to cause a distraction for uh, for Andor to rescue Bix, which I don't believe. I think what it was was people were just had had enough. People were just had had enough and they were ready. They were like sticking their chin out, hoping that the Empire would take a swing mm-hmm. because they had just had enough and they were yeah. ready to fight at that point in time. I love that. And actually, Elizabeth's like the way that she posed this question actually just made me have a thought as well we talked a lot about how the force is not really something we see in mm-hmm. action in a way that we understand it no one's lifting rocks you know no one's doing but i kind of love this idea of some kind of almost like unconscious solidarity where everyone yeah. the force was allowing these things to happen. I like that too. In these moments, because like you said, everyone was aligned. They knew what they wanted. They were at their breaking point. And the right thing to bring balance to the universe, to bring balance to the force, to bring balance to Ferex was for this to happen. So I I really love that. I love thinking about that kind of stuff because the show seems so grounded, but we know what world it exists in. So I love that idea. It's like, yeah, there was no, no one was there with blueprints. No one was like texting each other. This was somebody, this was that connection of people at their last moment. And maybe there was something a little bit more that allowed every little thing to happen as it did. But yeah, well, what a great question. What a great show. It was giving me goosebumps just thinking about it. There's also something Shakespearean about it, you know, like Julius Caesar, how, how, uh, uh, Mark Antony and Brutus make their speeches and and Brutus goes first, basically saying, hey, you know, I love Caesar. He was a great mm-hmm. guy. But, uh, you know, he, he got a little too uh, big in the head. And unfortunately, we had to take him down. And then uh, Mark Antony does this emotional appeal, appeal at just the right time, pointing out the kind of incongruities between what Brutus said and the way Julius Caesar had acted towards the people who were uh, who he was beloved of. And I think that there's something of that in this funeral procession, in particular, how Marva's speech appears at the perfect time when everybody yes, is at yes, that emotional yes, tenor yes. to go over the edge and do whatever and just act out. There was no, you know, there was no like, and then we'll overthrow the empire and then we'll storm the gate. It was just like, fuck these guys. Yeah. We've had enough. And when Marva basically gave them the okay that, like, it's okay to fight for freedom, it's okay to do what's right, I'm paraphrasing, you know, and I I think that message showed up at just the right time. And, yeah, I think, to your point, maybe something else was at play there. At play. 
Yeah. Shabugan asks, how much of a shot do you give Everything Everywhere All at Once of taking home Best Picture at the Oscars? I give it like zero chance, but I was delighted to see it. I think it's very clear to me from the movies that were nominated that one of the things the Oscars are trying desperately to do is to elevate movies that were popular really popular. Movies. Yeah, I mean, this is, I will say, the thing that's kind of blowing my mind is that this is probably one of the first times where there's two of the biggest movies of the year and of all time in the best picture, Top Gun and Avatar. Notably, not on years when, they didn't nominate those on years when it was superhero movies, but, you know, they got a thing about genre. But, so I, I think you're right. I would love to see it take best picture. I think it's a long shot, but I do think the Daniels for best director is, I think they might, I think they'll probably get that and screenplay, but not best picture. But I, I hope think that's all right. that. I think they're gonna. I think they have a good chance of sweeping the acting noms. And I think Kihi Kwan is a. I think that's a shoe in. I think that's a shoe in too. I think it's gonna be. I just can't imagine Top Gun Maverick winning Best Picture. No way. I think, I think it's, it's going to be, be the Fablemans or something. I think it's going to be all quiet on the Western Front. It's a oh. it's a classic war movie which the Academy loves, and it's and coming it's, at the and right it's time. Netflix, war in people, Europe, and it's yeah, yeah. It's and I, and you know I think it'll be that Elvis is too weird. Banshees <laughs> no, of Inisherin was good, but I can't imagine it's too, kind I of too small Austin, as well. I think Austin Butler does have a good chance. For Elvis, oh, I think so I never too. expected yeah. it, but I think that's your yeah. It's such a it's such a wild year, but eleven nominations for everything, everywhere, all at once. By the much way, deserved. listen, much deserved. Listen to the chat that we had with the Daniels, and 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 just send them some good vibes because they were freaked out. They deserve a it. year ago when this movie was a hit, and now it has eleven nominations, and I'm sure they're stressed. And by the way, shouts to. Uh... Austin Butler of Wizards of Waverly Place fame. Yes, Wizards what a, of Waverly what a, Place. What a come up by my guy. Um, <laughs> Love that. Let's bit. see. Uh, Matt C asks if you had Amazon level money to throw at the on-screen adaptation of your choice, be it book series, comic run, or remake of an old movie or show. What would it be? Personally, I'd choose Robin Hobbs' Realm of the Elderlings books. Oh gosh, what would you? What would you do? This is like such. A hard question. That it, for years, my answer would have been, uh, you know, Love and Rockets, which everyone knows is one of my all-time favorite comic books. But I truly do believe, as I as I grow older, I believe that is in its already in the best form it will ever be in, which is as <laughs> a comic book. So I'm taking it off. So I'm going to say this is a newer book. I love to shout it out. If you listen to the podcast, you've heard it here before. But there is a manga. Uh, by Kamomi Shirahama called um, Witch Hat Atelier. It's like if the most beautiful, intricate manga story about magic was drawn by somebody who loved R. Adams. And it's about mm. a young girl who wants to learn magic and uncovers the secret of magic accidentally in a world where only certain people know it and has to go and study. It is honestly one of the best comics I've ever read in my whole life. There's about nine, I think the 10th book just came out. I think they are making an anime, but I would love to see like a billion dollar adaptation of that book brought to life in a way that could represent the the beauty of the art and the kind of mad cozy magic of the storytelling what would yours be gosh it's really hard <laughs> right it's like but i gosh 
I'm going to pick a book that I just read, uh, The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Buhlman. Now, there's only one, the one story, it was published in 2021, so there's only the one book, and it's unclear if he will ever, like, go back to the world, but it is a book that, like, really knocked me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and it has like such a fully realized, fun world uh, involving magic, but magic that is tightly controlled by guilds, and these guilds are corrupt, and it's unclear how far their influence actually runs and whether they are behind the scenes pulling the strings of different things that are happening. This story takes place in the kind of aftermath of these uh, long-running and devastating wars against goblins that ended up that uh, devastated humanity basically caused all horses to go extinct uh many other it caused various other plagues and humanity is just kind of getting on its feet and as that is happening uh one of the uh, cities on the periphery is attacked by giants now uh, important fact is this is a city that had kind of ejected the um takers guild which is the guild of thieves and the and the magicians guild from their territories meaning it was guild free so you could be an independent magician or an independent thief working there but you couldn't there's no guild activities there um so what does this mean who is doing this uh and it's all told uh from the perspective of this thief named kinchnashinak who is just a wonderful unreliable narrator it's like just such a <laughs> like a, a gripping it's such a really really gripping and swashbuckling read that is 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 really really fun and wonderful and some of the best use of of magic of that I've read lately. It's great. Sounds amazing. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory that you're excited to share, Sarah pitches us on the beloved tabletop RPG Dungeons & Dragons. Fun fact, Crooked Media started its own Dungeons & Dragons campaign recently, which includes Super Producer Saul, which means when the Dungeons & Dragons movie comes out, Saul's going to have to come on and talk about it. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm here to pitch you on Dungeons & Dragons. It may seem like everyone knows about D&D these days, but I'm a woman in my 30s, and it was only in my 30s that I first discovered it. Shout out to my sister. If you're unfamiliar with the game, it's a multiplayer role-playing game which focuses on teamwork and storytelling. You play as a singular character with a fantasy race, like an elf, and class, like a wizard, who teams up with an unlikely band of heroes and faces challenges from paying the bar tab to slaying dragons. You can embody absolutely any character you like, exploring different genders and identities, and form lifelong bonds with the other players. It's an absolute feast for creativity, allowing you to build genuinely transferable problem-solving skills and quick thinking. Empathy, daring, and math are just a few things you can learn at a D&D table. As a woman in my 30s, I found today's players to be a welcoming and inclusive group. And I'm going to encourage anyone who's sitting on the fence to give it a try. If you're looking for content to get you into it, the juggernaut is critical role for good reason. But some other great content is not another D&D podcast, the Adventure Zone podcast, Rude Tales of Magic podcast, 
and Dimension 20. I hope you find boundless excitement and entertainment within the many worlds of D&D. Thank you, Sarah. If you have theories or passions you want to share, hit us up at xray at crooked.com. Instructions, as always, are in the show notes. That's it for us. Rosie, any plugs? Yeah, you can find me, Rosie Marks, on Letterboxd and Instagram. You will be able to read some of my stories about these things that we're talking about. I've written at IGN about a couple of these big DC news. I'm going to have some other cool stuff coming out soon. And obviously Ant-Man's coming up, baby. So get ready for those anti-takes. There's going to (laughs) be ants. Next episode is Wednesday, February 8th for more of The Last of Us. And remember, two episodes a week now, two episodes a week, Wednesdays and Fridays in your ear holes. And if you want to hear those things in your ear holes and see them through your eye holes, subscribe on YouTube, (laughs) where you can now watch full episodes of the show. You may even see me and Jason in the studio looking so dashing in our brightly colored clothes and cool t-shirts. Please follow us at XRVPod on Twitter, where we're always sharing cool stuff and responding to our wonderful listeners. And speaking of wonderful listeners, check out our Discord. It is such a cool community. I didn't have Discord before this, but it's lovely. We got all kinds of different cool spaces. Lots of funny interactions, theories, thoughts in there. Just generally good stuff. And if you're a fan of The Last of Us and are wondering uh, what we could do to possibly make you join the Discord, we're doing a really cool giveaway in the Discord for Discord members. Uh, It's a Last of Us activation pack, uh, Last of Us branded gear, including a backpack, including a Carhartt jacket and more. You have to join the Discord to find out about it. We'll be doing the draw for who gets that really cool Last of Us activation pack next week. Five star ratings, five star five reviews. Stars. Give we them to us. We need them. Five, 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 five. We need them. We gotta have them. Here's Karu <laughs> X. Five stars only. That's right, Karu. You know. It was either that or no stars, Jason said. Didn't leave me much of a choice. Listen. Thank you for following the rules. Did we force you to do it? Thank you. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. That's it for us. Bye. See you next time. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on Animal Welfare Certified Bone-In Beef Short Ribs, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie and Ground Lamb. Grab an Olive Bull Bread from the Bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21+. plus. Please drink responsibly.